Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. All right. I'm going to start by praying. So if you close your eyes with me. Jesus, we love you so much, and we thank you um, for the band and just how they ushered us um, into your presence, God. We know that your presence is already here, but we just thank you for making it evident and known to us in such um, intimate moments that we get with you. And I pray that you would soften each and every heart that is in this room and that will listen to this word, God. Um, I pray that you would take anything of my flesh out of this message, God, and that it would just be straight from your throne room, God, straight um, from the Holy Spirit, that it would be anointed and set apart, and that there would be freedom and healing uh, today for all of these people. Again, God, I just ask you that you would remove any stony and stubborn heart that is in this place. God, give them tender and responsive hearts, hearts that want more of you, Jesus, and more of your presence. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Chris kicked us off with an awesome message last week, and if you did not listen to it, It is up on the podcast. You can listen to it, I think, on every streaming platform. So we're now on Apple Podcasts, which feels like a huge deal because it's not always the easiest to get on there. So Apple Podcasts, go to the website, listen to it. Because I think everyone that is preaching in this series, the messages that the Lord has given us is like wearing our hearts on our sleeve. Um, And not to say that that doesn't happen in every message that comes from the pulpit up here. But I think there is something so tender about this series that it feels like we are laying ourselves bare before you and laying our hearts before you. And every there's four of us preaching in it. And it's crazy to think that what the word that the Lord gave Chris is Chris's heart. And it's something that you've been preaching up here. And if you know Chris, you know what he preached last week. That is his heart. That is what he wears and lays out for people to know about him. And I think the same is true probably about what the Lord gave me today. And when Tay preaches in a couple weeks, her heart for families and parenting. And when Kip preaches up here, I think the Lord has given him such an authority to be a bold defender and speak truth, but also have a vulnerability while doing that. And so when he gets up here next week, he gets to do the same thing. And this series, when the Lord gave me this series idea, I actually thought it was two years ago. I thought, I thought like, okay, the concept of the garden, like the Lord has been teaching me in the past couple of years. And just the other day, I was sitting and finishing up my message, and I had a coffee mug in front of me that's from my husband. And he's like, no, I've been teaching you this for a decade. This is something I've been, this is something I've ingrained in you, and I've been trying to show you it for a decade now. But just two years ago, you started realizing it. And this... I, start, I thought this concept started about two years ago in St. Louis, and my brother was going through rejection from a double lung transplant. And so it was 2020, COVID, and only two people were allowed in the hospital. And so my dad and my sister were the ones who were able to be there the most. And so they were the two people that were allowed in the hospital. But I still spent the majority of about two months down in St. Louis um, taking care of whatever they needed, bringing food to the hospital. But it felt like a really lonely time in my life. Like, I don't like to be by myself. I like to be around my people. Um, 
So being, uh, and I've always been that way, I come from a big family, and I, my sister would stand, and I think I've said this before, like, when we would shower, like, one of us would sit in there and talk to one another. So we didn't really have, like, alone time growing up. And so this felt like such a foreign concept to me, to be alone by myself, actually in my favorite city. And so what I found myself doing when I wasn't taking care of things that needed to be taken care of and running errands, my favorite place in the world is Forest Park. And I have a couple pictures. And I would just walk this park every single day. Um, and I felt like I found a new place in it every day because it's huge. And I forgot that I had these pictures until I was scrolling through trying to make storage of space on my phone. And I was just reminded of how I didn't feel alone when I was walking in that park. I felt so close to Jesus. I would just walk and pray and be with him. And scripture would come to mind and I would just recite it over and over again. And so I probably walked miles and miles around that park over the course of eight weeks. And then I thought about um, when it came time for my brother to pass, we didn't get to ask him his wishes, and, but my dad was like, my son's gonna pass with dignity and grace. And so they're, one of their favorite places that I think brought them a lot of comfort and peace was the hospital, which is across from Forest Park, had a rooftop garden. And I wish I would have gotten like an aerial view of this garden from the internet because it is how I picture the Garden of Eden. Like it is so full and beautiful. And we were always there in the summer, so it pro I don't know what it looks like in the winter. It's probably not as full and beautiful. <laughs> but this is my dad and my brother looking out. And then this is my brother as well. And they would go to this garden and I feel like it was just this safe and comfortable and peaceful place for them in the midst of a lot of unknown and scary things. It was this safe and comfortable place that they got to be with each other. And the garden is a safe and a comfortable place that we get to be with our, God, our father. Just have my dad and brother together. It's a safe place. And he wants us to, he welcomes us into that. He doesn't want us to think that it's just this far off place that it's something that was and will be again. And no, it's something right now. We have access to it right now. And honestly, I thought this introduction was gonna be my entire message. So when I gave this series idea and I knew I was gonna be preaching it, I was like, okay, that, like, there's my message. Where the concept of the garden and where it came to me, came from for me, that, that, that's it. And the Lord's act, actually, nope, you're preaching on the Song of Solomon. And I was like, oh, that's awkward. Like, I told somebody about that, and she's like, are you going to mention boobs? And I was like, you know who you are. And I was like, uh, I mean, like, it's in there, but I'm not preaching about boobs. Like, sorry. I think we're so off put by it because it feels confusing. It's very, very poetic. There's lots of imagery used in it. Like, the woman refers to the male's teeth as like sheep that have just been sheared, which is awkward. I'm like, oh. I don't think that's how I'd describe my husband's teeth. I love you, babe, but like, I don't think I'm gonna like correlate your teeth to sheep. It feels kind of awkward as you're snacking back there. 
but it, or like we feel like it's scandalous. Like the mention of some of the things in here and it talks about sex and intimacy and it feels like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't go there. It is probably the most beautiful book in the Bible I have ever read. And I thought I was gonna start by just like reading through the scripture and the Lord's like, nope, listen to it. And so on the Bible app, I just started listening to it in all the different versions. And I was like, okay, I think we can best understand this if I use the message version. So that, that's what I'll do. I'll go with them. It doesn't feel as like awkward and weird. And the Lord's like, nope, ESV. And I was like, really? Like the most like poetic version of this, you're going to make me use this. This feels weird. But it's actually so, so beautiful and so inviting. And I thought I had to read all of the commentaries and go sift through a bunch of different things to try and understand what this book meant. But every time I read a commentary, the Lord's like, wait, I already showed you that. I already gave that to you. You don't need to read what somebody else wrote. Trust what I told you. And so the Song of Solomon, otherwise known as the Song of Songs, like the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords, it's supposed to be the best song that was ever written. So the worship songs that we sing up here, it's supposed to be far above that. The Song of Songs. And in probably written by Solomon. It's not confirmed, but it's actually considered to be a book of wisdom. And so like Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, a book that is full of wisdom. It's like, this is how it should be. This is what it's supposed to be like. This is what intimacy between a man and a woman should be, but it's also what a relationship between God and his people should be like. And it seems odd that a man that had lots of wives and concubines. So he had lots of relationships with women, but those were probably just sexual relationships. I don't know if he actually had like an intimate relationship with one woman because when you have a thousand women that you're trying to like please or you want to please you, you probably don't have a very close relationship with just one of them. And so I was like, God, why'd you use a man like that? But I think when he uses the people who we feel like aren't qualified, it makes it even more true. Like you really have to lean on the Lord. For someone who was so imperfect in this and so just turned his back completely on what God had planned for a relationship between a man and a woman to be, and then he had him write the most beautiful love song ever written, like that's something special. You know that is straight from the Lord. And I think it's beautiful that the Jewish people actually read this at Passover. They read the Song of Solomon as an allegory, and it refers to the Exodus. So when God took Israel to himself as his bride and the intimate relationship between God and his people. And then in Christianity, it's supposed to be an example of a relationship between Christ and his bride. So even before Jesus came, it's supposed to be this beautiful picture of what our relationship with God should look like. And so it's double. That shows that our marriages here on earth are to reflect our relationship with the Father. As imperfect as they're going to be. And so we overlook this book because it feels awkward and poetic and uncomfortable. And the talking about boobs again, like, what? And God's like, no. This is about me and you. 
Like, this is what I want you to understand about a relationship with me. This is what I want intimacy to look like. Because the world tells you, and this is so, so important, especially if you, I think for married and not married people, the world says that sex equals intimacy. And that is such a lie. Sex is the overflow of an intimate relationship with the one that God has set apart just for you. And that is supposed to be a glorifying act to God. Phil talked about this in his message briefly a couple weeks ago. It is meant to glorify God, but it is not the definition of intimacy. And if we think the definition of intimacy is sleeping around with other people because we feel like we need to be known, then you are sorely mistaken and you are going to feel more alone and isolated than you have ever felt before. And I feel like I have, the Lord has given my husband and I authority in this. And there's, I know there's other people in the, this church who have authority in it. Because I, as a teenager, I, was, I had no clue about an intimate relationship with Jesus. And so I sought that out in relationships with other people. And there is a lot of pain and a lot of healing that you have to go through. And you have to get a lot of freedom. Even my husband and I, we had our son outside of marriage. And there's a lot of healing that you have to go through when you make those decisions outside of the context of marriage. Sleeping with someone is not bringing you intimacy. The definition of intimacy is a close relationship with somebody. To be fully known. It's actually a friendship. To be fully known by someone. It's a longing and a deep cry of our hearts. To be known and to be loved. To be seen. To feel valued. And we don't have to wait for heaven for that intimate relationship with the Lord to start. Like, you have that intimate relationship with your spouse, hopefully, or I hope that you are working towards that with your spouse and you're getting healing and freedom to have that. But we've become so ashamed of all the baggage and the stuff we carry. Ryan talked about that earlier. We've become so ashamed and so weighed down by it that we don't even start to think about an intimate relationship with the Lord or we feel unqualified, or even to be loved by another person. We feel like we bring too much crap into the relationship, so how can I actually be fully known? And that's where the Song of Solomon comes in, because I think it gives us way more than I could actually preach on today. Like, this could have been a series in its own. I would keep you here for a long time if I preached on all of it. But I think the Lord has laid it out, what an intimate relationship with him should look like and what an intimate relationship with our spouses should look like. And then it's like a step, it's like a step down. It's like tiered. So God is your most intimate relationship. Your most intimate relationship should be with Jesus. And then it's your spouse or kids. That's with your parents. I feel, I felt, I was like, God, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. My children's most intimate relationship should be with me. And then the kids, you're under the authority of your parents. And often we're too scared to tell them everything. Or you feel like they don't understand. No, they want to understand. They love you so much. They desire that relationship with you. And then it's with other people. So like family and friends. And so 
those are like close relationships, but they're not as deeply intimate relationships as marriage or with God. And so what he lays out for us in the Song of Solomon is exactly what it should be like. And the first thing, in the first chapter, it's in the first set of verses. Literally verse 1, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And then it goes into that nothing can come close to it. Verses 2 through 4. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out, therefore virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Nothing compares to it. Nothing compares to a relationship with God. For earthly relationships, nothing compares to a relationship with your spouse. Nothing compares to a relationship with your parents. With those close people who know everything about you, nothing compares to it. The next thing he shows us is that our desire for an intimate relationship should be equal. And this is important in marriage, especially because sometimes we're pursuing relationships with people who are unequally yoked to us. They don't have a deep, close, personal relationship with Jesus. They're not actively pursuing Jesus. And so their desire, if your desire for Jesus and their desire for Jesus aren't matching up, that's probably not a good fit. Like, you're not going to fix that for them. That is their choice. A personal relationship with Jesus is your choice. You can't force somebody into it. And you can't force somebody into a relationship with you. The desire and the enjoyment that comes out of a relationship should be equal. That attraction, it should be equal. And so in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, it says, the man is speaking. And he says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And then the woman says, behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. They are delighting in each other. They have this, and if you reading throughout the book, they have this same attraction to each other. Like they talk about each other. It doesn't even make sense really. Again, like sheep and teeth, like it's weird and we feel awkward, but they are so infatuated with each other. They love each other so much that they can't help but express it. And it doesn't make sense really, but I feel like when you're kind of like giddy and excited about someone that you love or you like, Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, you just talk about them nonstop. This might be the most important one. Number three, it's not shy or fearful. It takes ownership and possession over the one it loves. My beloved is mine, and I am his. This is in chapter two. Oh, actually, I'm ahead of myself. Sorry. (laughs) As an apple among the trees for the forest, so is my beloved young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me into his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. A banner signifies safety and security. That's a bold statement. It's like ownership or possession. And so when the Israelites, like, all lived in tents, they had banners with their family name, like, so that you knew which tent was yours. That's ownership, it's possession. It's saying, this is my space. This is my declaration. 
His banner over me was love. God's banner over you is love. He's already claimed that with you, claimed that over you by the death of Jesus. He claimed that banner of love over you. And it's over you, but you're probably not under it. Like you probably are ignorant to the fact that he loves you so much and he wants this intimate relationship with you that he has boldly said, this is my child. There is safety and security under me. He's taken possession over you. I think when we make marriage, when those marriage vows happen, they're vows, but that's also the banner of love is over a couple who are saying, we're in this together. There is nothing that can stop this union of people. That's a bold statement to make, especially in the world that we live in today, where the divorce rate is like climbing every single year to say, we're in this together. The possession and the love that comes from that deep and personal relationship with one another. It's exclusive. This is where I got ahead of myself. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. And it's said uh, multiple times throughout the Song of Solomon. And it said again, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. There's, again, that possession, that ownership. It's exclusive. You are God's and he is yours. And there's a lot of stuff that comes in between, that we think comes in between that relationship. But he's like, no, I'm yours. There's a lot of stuff that comes in between, that can come in between my relationship with my husband. But at the end of the day, he's like, no, babe, I'm yours. I had to share a dream with him that I had this week because the enemy was just coming after my mind. And if he wasn't going to get it during the day, he was going to try and get it when I slept. I told my husband my dream, and he's like, babe, I can prove to you that that's wrong. Like, I'm yours. I love you. And it's the most reassuring thing to know that we are loved and that that is equal in a relationship, that exclusiveness. That, that feels safe to me. That feels like even when the enemy tries to throw anything that he can at us, that is a safe place. That is a place where I feel known in love, and it's exclusive. It's just, it's just between him and I. And I actually had to repent of something before my message to him and apologize. I was like, babe, I'm sorry I shared. Like, he shared something with me, and then I shared it with somebody else. That was something that was supposed to be between just the two of us. And I can be an oversharer at times. And so I took the, exclusi- the exclusivity the vulnerability out of this certain thing by sharing it with somebody else. There are certain things in the context of marriage that are just between you and your husband, more so than just sex. There's a lot that should be just between you and him. And there's a lot, even more, that should be just between you and God. We don't have to go and share every single word that he gives us. We don't have to go and tell people that we're praying for them all the time. Sometimes that's just between you and God. And that's okay. I am my beloved, or my beloved is mine and I am his. I am my beloved and he is mine. It's just you guys. It longs for one another. An intimate relationship, you are, you should be longing for the person that you most love, both here on earth and with the Father. 
you search relentlessly for them. In chapter 3, the bride, the bride or the female in the song, she says, On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and I will go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them. When I found him whom my soul loves, I held him and I would not let him go. This is not the only time that she searches for him in the Song of Solomon. This is just one of the, one of the times. She wanted him so badly. She longed for him so badly. She got up in the middle of the night and she went throughout the city and she probably looked for it like a fool because she was searching for the one her soul loved. She was longing to be with him. And when she found him, she held him and she didn't let go. Again, we live in a world who tells you, hey, if that's not working out, if you're the only one putting an effort into the relationship, it's okay, let go. That's okay. Divorce is okay. Being misunderstood by somebody, that's okay. You're not the only one longing for a relationship with God. You're not the only one. He said eternity in our hearts. That's one of Chris's favorite verses to preach up here. And it's probably one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Because even when the people that we love are lost, he set eternity in their hearts. And if you feel hopeless and distraught and you are unsure about a relationship with God, he has already set eternity in your, in your heart. The reason you feel hopeless and lost is because you are longing for him. You are searching for him and it might feel like you look like a fool to the rest of the world when you say yes to a relationship with Jesus. But he has that same longing and desire for you. But he's not searching for you. He's already found you. He's already claimed you as his own. He's already holding you in his arms, and he's not letting go. But you're looking to be satisfied by a bunch of other things that are not going to satisfy the longings that you have. Because he has set eternity in your heart. That longing has already been fulfilled, but it's your choice to hold on to it and not let go. There's a giddiness and admiration for one another in an intimate relationship. Again, I'm not going to define my husband's teeth like sheep. Or he probably wouldn't say my hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> Yesterday, he referred to me like a shih tzu. So I shed and leave my hair on the shower wall. And it's just so you were, or like he goes to work and he probably finds my hair all over his clothes because I shed like a dog. So you probably don't have a lot of good things to say about my hair, but he likes it straight. Sorry, I it's naturally curly. <laughs> but there's a giddiness and an admiration about one another. When you are so infatuated and in love with a person, when you have an intimate relationship with someone, you can't, like, you can't get enough of them, but you also can't stop talking about them. And that's what our relationship with God should be like. We should be so infatuated and in, in admiration of who he is that 
not only can we testify and talk about his goodness, somebody was just talking about the trees changing colors. Like that is something to be, to admire about who God is, his creation and his beauty all around us. We should be infatuated by it. We should be so, it should make us giddy like butterflies in your stomach. Chapter four, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze, shaved sheep that have come up from washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields and all of the shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like fawns, twins of gazelles that graze among the lilies. Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. You are so beautiful. There is no flaw in you. That was the man speaking. And then in chapter 5, the woman is speaking again about her beloved and her admiration and giddiness over him. She says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest goals. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves behind streams of water bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are like lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. See, babe, you're getting those double-leg workouts. You're getting nice legs. Alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choices as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. This is the person that I admire, that I am infatuated with, that I love so much. Just the thought of him brings all of this stuff pouring out of me, and sometimes it doesn't make sense, but that's okay. Because I love him so much. I'm so infatuated with him. Nothing comes close to him. He's desirable. And I love that how she claims that this is the one she, this is her beloved. This is my friend. Making that proclamation like, there is no one that comes close to the feelings I have for this guy. Again, that should be our relationship with the Father. There's nothing that comes close to our relationship with him. With your spouse, there's nothing that comes close to that relationship that you have with that person. Those things that you feel stir up inside you about that person. Nothing comes close to it. And lastly, intimacy with God and with one another, it's powerful. And the enemy again, it's going to do everything he can to try and destroy it. But if you take anything away from this message today, know that your relationship with, the God, with God is powerful. 
There is nothing that can come between it. The enemy is going to try and do everything he can, but it is powerful. You have authority because of the one you have an intimate relationship with. You have authority because of the one who loves you and desires you and has chosen you. And you doing the same thing back with him. Chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Many waters cannot quench intimacy. Neither can floods drown it out. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, house, he would be utterly despised. It cannot be bought. It already was bought. That intimate relationship that you have with, with God, that intimate relationship that you have with your spouse that is set apart, that was already bought with the blood of Jesus. And it's powerful. Nothing, if you are choosing to walk into the, in the authority of an intimate relationship with God, nothing is going to quench it. Nothing is going to stop it. It will be the most powerful weapon in your arsenal is your relationship with Jesus. How you stomp out the fiery darts of the enemy is an intimate relationship with Jesus. It is allowing, he already knows you. He already knows everything about you. He knows your past. He knows your future. But we're still hiding and ashamed. We think we can't be known for all the crap that we carry, all the baggage that we carry. No. He already knows every detail of your life. And he still chooses this intimate relationship with you. He's still longing for you. He still has a desire for you. He's still, his banner over you is still love. And it's powerful. And the only way that you are going to be able to defeat the enemy is walking in that authority and that powerful, powerful relationship with the Father. Because your most intimate relationship, it should be you and Jesus. And then your marriage and then it goes down from there. And it's laid out for us. We have it all right here. But instead, we choose the things that the world says bring intimacy. We, or bring us happiness. Or whatever. X, Y, Z. You can fill in the blanks with whatever you feel like the world says because it's a bunch of crap. Because this is the only thing that we can stand firm on. This is the truth. And he laid it out for us in this poetic book that we are too scared to understand. And yet we're craving intimacy. We're craving to be known. We want to be loved and seen and admired. But we're accepting the cheap things that the world has to offer instead of what, what is right here for us. Instead of the truth that we can stand on of what an intimate relationship should look like. And we jeopardize or we hurt our intimacy with God or with our spouses because we're selfish and we're unwilling to give up the things that need to be laid down at the feet of Jesus. 
in order to have an intimate relationship with him and an intimate relationship with other people. Because without Jesus, we are so self-centered. It is in our, I feel like it's in our natural human tendencies to be self-centered, self-sufficient, self-reliant, and that's not at all what he has for us. Intimacy is not about you. It's about a relationship and a closeness with another person. It's about a relationship and a closeness with God to be fully known by someone else. And if we want that, if we want those relationships, we have to be healed of a lot of other crap. We have to be freed from a lot of other stuff. We have to be willing to say, you know what? I'm not enough in this area. Or this is what I've been dealing with. And find trusted people that you can share those things with. First, again, first, most important is God. Repent. Share those things with him. Accept the fact that you are fully known and fully loved by the creator of the universe. That he has chosen you. That he didn't just choose Chris. He didn't just choose Holly. He didn't just choose Daryl. He chose you. He chose each and every one of us. Jesus knew when he was going to the cross that he was dying for you. And we think that we're not good enough for that intimate relationship with him. We think that we don't have what it takes or we're scared of what other people think. If I say that I love Jesus, what does that mean about relationships with friends who don't? Or if I say no to this, because I know that's not good for me and that's not what God has for me, then I'm going to look like a fool or people are going to judge me or people are going to make fun of me. No. An intimate relationship with Jesus comes first. And that is a choice that you have to make. He's not going to force you into it. And when you make it, make it with your whole heart because it's really easy to go backwards. And that's what he's been showing me over the last 10 years. And graciously meeting me in when I take steps back because I'm scared to be fully known or to accept the fact that I'm fully known because I'm already fully known. And a few weeks, about six weeks ago, my grandpa died. And the Lord is so sweet <laughs> in reminding me that he has been with me through every single thing that I've walked through in my life, all of the pain, all of the hurt. And so about six weeks ago when he passed away and I felt like um, he was a lot like my brother. And so I felt like I had to relive a bunch of like grief and feelings that were coming up. And he was like, hey, you've been carrying around something that you should have laid at my feet a long time ago. Like, I already knew this. I already knew that your heart was broken, that you were sad, and that you were in pain. But I made my banner over myself grief. I've made it depression and loneliness. And I have isolated myself, not only from a relationship with people who love me, friends. There have been times I've isolated myself in my relationship with my husband in that intimate relationship where 
he loves me no matter what. In my darkest days of depression, I can only imagine what he felt loving me so much and feeling helpless like he couldn't do anything for me. And I was ashamed. And I have made my ban- this banner over myself. So many different things. And the Lord's like, no, my banner over you is love. My banner over you is an intimate relationship with you. This crap that you've been dealing with, yeah, it's part of living in a fallen and broken world. And I know that it sucks. But I want to meet you in it. I want to carry you through it. You don't have to wear that anymore. That doesn't have to be what you proclaim over your life anymore. And I thought, if I let go of those things, then I feel like I'm losing part of who I am. I'm losing part of the people that I love. And that's not true. Because he'll carry those things with us. That's part of an intimate relationship. It's co-laboring together, working together through the crappy things. But still believing that the banner that he has over our lives is love. What he declares and claims over you is an intimate relationship with you. And there is nothing you can do to stop that. He's going to keep pursuing you no matter what. And finally, we have to slow down enough to be like, okay, God, have your way. And that might be having to do it continually until we start believing it. And that's okay. If you feel like you have to continually lay things at the feet of Jesus until you believe it, keep laying it down. Because one day you're going to believe it. And one day you're going to walk in that healing and that freedom. And you're going to believe that his banner over you is love, that it's intimacy with you. And so when we feel like we lay things down and then we pick them back up, and then the next week you come to church and there's a moment where people are praying and you feel like a fool for having to ask for prayer for the same thing again, that's okay. Like, do that. Do not sit in your seat and be so ashamed that you have to come and ask for healing and freedom from the same thing again because there are people who love you who wants you to have access, who wants you to believe that you have that intimate relationship with God. And they want you to keep laying it at his feet until you declare that your banner, his banner over you is love, that it is intimacy, that he knows you fully, you keep laying it down. And you don't just lay it down on a Sunday morning. When you wake up tomorrow morning and you feel like you picked that thing back up again, you lay it down again. And on Tuesday evening, when you're struggling again and you're having those same obsessive thoughts, you lay it down again. And you keep doing it until you believe that you are worthy of an intimate relationship with the one who created you. And you keep doing it. And you keep doing it. And then one day you're going to believe it. And it might be 10 years from now. It's taken 10 years for me to believe that I am worthy of an intimate relationship with Jesus. And there have been times where I'm like, yeah, I half-heartedly believe it. No. 
I am worthy of an intimate relationship with Jesus. You are worthy of an intimate relationship with Jesus. You are worthy of an intimate relationship with your spouse. You are worthy of an intimate relationship with friends. You are worthy to be closely known and seen and loved and valued and admired by the people who love you so much. But most importantly, you are worthy and you are valued and you are loved of an intimate relationship with the God of the universe who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's like, he's saying, come and walk with me now. Don't wait. Don't wait to have an intimate relationship with me. It shouldn't be in your final moments when you're dying and you're like, oh yeah, God, like this is it now. Like, I get eternity with you now. Okay, cool. No, there is so much value that comes from an intimate relationship here with him here on earth. You're not going to be a part of bringing heaven to earth if you are half-heartedly in a relationship with Jesus. Your marriage is not going to glorify God if you are half-heartedly in it with your spouse. Your friendships aren't going to bring freedom and healing if you are half-heartedly in them. Like if I show up to something and someone else lays their heart out and I'm holding back out of fear of what they're going to think, that is so selfish. That is so rude. To not be in something equally with somebody. Because we want it all, if we're selfish and we want it for ourselves. I don't want to look like a fool. I don't want to be judged if I don't do this with them, I'm, they're going to think I'm crazy. No, you are worthy of an intimate relationship. You are worthy of access to God now and walking with him now. And so, Jesus, we just ask that you would show us what we need to lay at your feet today. God, show us what is keeping us from an intimate relationship with you. Because even when we say yes to that intimate relationship, Jesus, we can still fall back into the same old routines. And we bind and rebuke any scheme of the enemy that is trying to keep your people from freedom and healing and intimate relationships with you. An intimate relationship with you, with their spouse, with trusted family and friends. God, we ask that you would just bring healing and freedom over your people. God, that they would know that no matter what, they are fully known, that they are fully seen. And if we only feel fully known and seen by you, that's, a, that's enough. Jesus, but I just pray that you would bring people into our lives who are going to encourage us and spur us on and lead us into an intimate relationship with you. People who are going to usher us into your presence, Jesus. People who are going to encourage us to keep laying that thing down week after week, day after day. God, we thank you that you desire us. God, I can only help but think that when you think of us, you are so giddy and full of admiration for your children who you love for your bride that you have called and set apart. And Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you that you are, we are yours. 
that there is nothing that can keep us from your presence. That no matter how far away we try and run away from you, God, you're going to usher us right back in. You never stop fighting for us. You never stop searching for us. God, you hold tight onto us because you love us. Your banner over us is love. It's intimacy. And Jesus, we just pray that we would, out of an overflow of our intimate relationship with you, that we would get to show people more of who you are and more of bringing heaven to earth. God, may our lives glorify you. Jesus, we give you all of ourselves. Laid bare before you, God. Come do what only you can do. Bring healing and freedom and restoration. God, not only in our relationships with you, but in marriages, God, I pray that there would be a fresh outpouring of of your spirit on marriages, God, that you would bring unification in households, Lord, where the enemy is trying to, to come in and cause a wedge and separation between man and wife, God, that you would create a, a unity, God, that you are the glue that holds the, that, them together. Lord, that they are first seeking intimate relationship with you and then with one another. God, we pray over what the definition of intimacy is in our world today, God. And we just ask that you would continue to, to, <clears throat> Jesus, that you continue to put out the flames that the enemy is trying to set up, the false intimacy that he is telling us that is okay, that the world says is okay, Jesus, but it's actually keeping us from you. It is setting up roadblocks. Jesus, and all you want is a relationship with your people. Jesus, I ask that you would continue to use us as vessels to speak truth over what intimacy is, over what relationships are God between a man and a woman in a world that says X, Y, and Z is okay and it's acceptable and that's where you feel loved and no, Jesus. Continue to use us to bring glory to you, to, set, to stand firm on your truth, on your word, to bring more of heaven to earth. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the healing and the freedom that you bring that comes only from knowing you. It's in your name we pray, amen.